rock, classic rock, doom, folk pop, lo-fi, garage rock, math rock, dream pop, worship, soundscape, bluegrass, electronic music, jungle, chill, power pop, pet house, mixtape, urban. You are listening to the many sounds of WCBN FM Ann Arbor. Space, sludge, turntablism, space rock, freestyle, down tempo, synth pop, 8 beat, dance hall, acid beat, mashup, electro pop. Good afternoon. I'm T. Hetzel. You've got Living Writers on WCBN FM Ann Arbor. And today I'm so happy to have in the studio Karen Russell. Karen, welcome to Living Writers. Oh, I'm so excited to be here. Thank you. <laughs> and welcome to WCBN and um, yeah. and Michigan. First time. And is it your first it is. time? It's my milestone. That's Coming to truly to Michigan, yeah. Go blue. <laughs> <laughs> I know. I'm always behind the curve. I'm like Wolverines. <laughs> um, and the and and like you noticed on your walk down the hallway, the the Wolverine conference room. And uh, I was so sad. That's not a unique incident. Somehow I was like, this is where the most important business is conducted in the Wolverine conference room. <laughs> Just down when the Hugh hall Jackman this. comes through, <laughs> yeah, he, exactly. he does all of his politicking here. It could be. It could actually. Who knows what happens at night, especially down here at WCBN and, and yeah. neighboring um, office I also, space. You know, it's funny. I think I had the wrong mental image of a Wolverine. They're not as big as you might think. Is that correct? Yes. It, there's, they're actually they're low to the ground. Yes. They look kind of dingo-ish. They're sort of <laughs> like a, almost a flattened dingo, really. Because our <laughs> dingo sort of dingo. Spelled, yeah. <laughs> reanimated. <That's right>. <laughs> <laughs> We're off the PR team for the Wolverine. They're like, you ladies lost the account. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> but it's... Uh, but they're... But they're great critters. They yeah. uh, now that sounds even worse. Now trying to make it better, <laughs> I've actually worsened it. Um, I should say we're taping this program. It's the twenty first of November, two thousand thirteen, and um, and Karen, you're in town um, to do a reading from your latest book, um, Vampires in the Lemon right. Grove. Um, yes, uh, with Knopf and. Um, and that's why Stephanie, thanks for engineering, chose the the first song uh, by Neil Young, uh, a little vampire. Yeah, that's nice that he's on he's on the ride with me, right? There are some there are plenty of other people working working vampires into their art or commercial projects. So I'm glad Neil Young. <laughs> thank you. That's he's he's somebody I'd be. 
pleased to be affiliated with he's a king. and buy, you know, 20 gallons of blood from or whatever. <laughs> he's a good egg, that one. Before yeah. we go further, Karen, I'll, uh, I'll read your short bio in the back of Vampires in the Lemon Grove. And then maybe we'll fill in some of the pieces. Yeah, let's okay. do it. Karen Russell, a native of Miami, won the 2012 National Magazine Award for Fiction, and her first novel, Swamplandia, 2011, was a finalist for the Pulitzer Prize. She's a graduate of the Columbia MFA program, a 2011 Guggenheim Fellow, and a 2012 Fellow at the American Academy in Berlin. She lives in Philadelphia. Karen Russell's St. Lucie's Home for Girls Raised by Wolves in Swamplandia. This is my little plug here, apparently, <laughs> are available in vintage paperback. Oh, thank you. And we've got them on the table here. They're such, I mean, they're just beautiful books. Ah, they, they do such a good job. I, I feel did, really grateful. They did you proud, Karen? I'm really glad. You know, I really love, actually, this is sort of a newer cover on St. Lucie's. Something about that wolf's <laughs> expression. It's just like little wolf Cassandra. <laughs> But that's how I feel most days. And, and then just, this, this sort of disembodied head of a wolf. But I guess you could kind of yeah. like a little bit off the back. And there's, yeah. When you see it, I mean, I don't, I just to me, the wolf is thinking the news is mixed. <laughs> At best, the news is mixed, <laughs> you know. And there's just sort of like a cataclysm obviously brewing. Um, that is perfect. I almost wish that I could somehow stencil in a little Wolverine into the corner now. <laughs> like, just, gentlemen, just, are you sitting yeah, down? Right. The news is mixed. <laughs> um, I'm going to wait to some tougher news. That's right. Um, and so, Karen, are you in Philadelphia right now? Because as I was reading through different parts of your, <laughs> your biography, it's, you know, you've been moving around since yeah. since your time at Coral Gables High School in Miami. Yeah, yeah I really feel, I'm like a, a true grifter at this point. I mean, it's a little creepy. I was just... Um, taking one of the stickers I've been doing these visiting teaching gigs so it ends up which which is has been really fabulous but um one consequence is that I'm just like this weird Mary Poppins figure that like rolls into a town for a semester and then rolls out again so I was in Philadelphia teaching at Bryn Mawr um and I'm teaching at Rutgers at the moment and then next semester I'll be at the Iowa Writers Workshop which I'm really excited about but it does sort of start to feel it's confusing to you know to the IRS for example (laughs) I haven't had to sit on a jury in a long time which is great my you know but when people want to forward a package or i mean it does it does it actually does seem like i'm doing some kind of witness protection situation right or just keep keep on moving moving target yeah internationally even your time in yeah, berlin yeah. sounds like that must have been an uh, especially um lovely time that was wild so this is there's an Amer- the american academy of berlin has these births for it, it, they tend to be economists or social scientists and there's one reserved for fiction writers so in this like miraculous unlikely way I found myself getting to spend the better part of a year in Berlin and I've never uh, really lived abroad you know for that length of time before and it was such an education I mean I went I'm such a rube you know so it was uh, so many milestones there I got to go to my first opera um, which was Lohengrin for a while all I could say in German was Ich bin Lohengrin so it's not a sentence that gets a lot gets a lot of use um, <laughs> until you came on the scene Karen <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, yeah exactly that's, that's, that's so funny I think that's actually um, one of the guests um, just recently Gerald Shea picked a song from 
from Lohengrin? Lohengrin? Wow. Yes, literally, last week. Gosh, it oh. was amazing. What I learned about opera was that it has like the actor to audience ratio of a great liberal arts school. You know, it was like this play. It was just like one to one. The people in the audience to like the the weird army like belting out tunes on stage. But I really enjoyed it. Um, Did you almost feel like you had to belt something back because you you guys were sort of amassed <laughs> we like facing each other? And... It, was, it felt almost like a sport. <laughs> it really did. Because <laughs> of that symmetry. Only in um, Berlin. Oh, but yeah, Berlin is the, uh, such an, you know, coming from Florida where we have maybe a shallower history than, for example, or Berlin just wears its history very differently, you know, and there are all these material scars there still. And it was, in, it was interesting, you know, to be there. Certainly as a writer, it was very interesting. And were you, at that point, were you writing on the, uh, working on the stories for Vampires in the Lemon Grove, Karen? Or yeah, what? yeah, I sure was. Um, two of them in particular, there's one reeling for the Empire that was written there and um, the New Veterans. And then I was revising, I was revising a, a story from this book called The Graveless Doll of Eric Mutis. It was sort of a major overhaul and there are a couple others that um, that I kind of returned to. So the, yeah, things really came together. Uh, it, which is sort of it seems it seems some somehow both surprising and appropriate to me that it would be in the dark forests of Germany. <laughs> Maybe that was part of it's infused in there. Yeah, you can see that. I think not right not in the most straightforward way. I mean, other writers who go and do this fellowship uh, actually they are they're setting books in Berlin or they're sort of a more direct. Um, relationship to the city, they're you know they're milling it into their fiction in a more one-to-one way. But I do think it was interesting to be in this place where folklore and fable has such a life. You know, I went to like the Grimm's brothers' graves. You know, that felt kind of incredible that they were human men, right? Um, and not just a fairy tale yeah. that made up by an, a greater fairy tale. You or... know what I think is wild? So these two, they're compiling their. Um, they're doing their lexicography or whatever they're doing their project. They only make it up to letter F and then they die. I was just thinking about this recently. I'm not sure what that means exactly, okay? But their last name is G and they, it just, it seems, it seems significant. It seemed, uh, it's I, not I, consciously planned. I want to believe that. Right. Oh my gosh. It seemed like some like, like Borges would have fun with that, right? Right. Like, right. Or, or Karen Russell, for example. Oh, mate. Well, I give that to you listeners. Like, <laughs> I, that's, that's my gift to you. Someone take it. Just seems too good to to, to pass up. This is a volleyball yeah. bump to you. Volleyball today. bump. <laughs> Karen, what um can we talk a little bit about um the world of the short story sort of now yeah, cuz yeah. are you is that something that you um love to inhabit or or is it yeah. or do you find your work is cuz cuz you've got the St. Lucy's Home for Girls Raised by Wolves, uh your first collection of short stories. Um and then, and then Swamplandia, which I'm always so happy to see the exclamation mark. Thank you for <laughs> I had putting to fight that for on that. there. Oh, you Thank did? you for appreciating it. Yeah, it seemed really integral to the entire project. I mean, um, sometimes I think it gets misread as just like straight exuberance, which is not how I ever intended it to read, right? I mean, I think Florida is a state of manufactured enthusiasm. And I think some of the, this family is trying so hard to kind of, put on a good face and suit up and costume up for one another in the wake of this staggering loss. So I think somehow uh, there's a lot of forcefulness behind the exclamation mark, right? It's an energetic and, um, you know, quite a conscious syntax. I don't. Yeah, I think it's who was who was against it? Well, in France, they took it off. Nobody asked me. It's just not on the title. And maybe that's correct. I think that their feeling was that Parisian audiences would just be aghast. 
because <laughs> it would. But the thing is, I mean, a part of the. <laughs> well, I think um, Florida. I mean, something about that. That's our syntax. That's Florida. It is. You know, we're even shaped kind of like an exclamation mark. Yeah. <laughs> Arguably. That's true. We got to. Got the keys as, as down long as there. The keys, like, yeah. Key West is like. Key West, we would screwed it over a little. Far, right. And then it could really. A, dr- a drunk help. exclamation point. Yeah, exactly. Even more perfect. <laughs> even better. For Florida. Oh, yeah. I, 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 I grew up in Florida, South Florida too. So, oh, wow. Um, that's why I, I feel like um, Where I can, is that I can um, Hope Sound, a oh, small, sure. small town. Sure. Yeah. So different, right? The Miami, but I mean. Yes. Yeah. But I think that there's you're plenty the, in but common. You're in the big too. city. You're, you're sort of the, the, the big city there. And, yeah. and, and, but I love how you sort of talk about walking outside the, the door in Florida, then you're suddenly a part of the natural world. Yeah, it's true, um, isn't it? I mean, I feel like in New York, even there's there's not that sense of there's no separation between you and nature, partially because the temperature is always 85 humid degrees, right? So it's it's always anime there. Like you're always part of some milieu. Like you can't escape it. You're always just like nature's secretion yourself. Exactly. And aren't we some sort of high percentage of water? So we're already, so we're we're evaporating and enjoying it. Right. It does feel like that. Just getting a sweaty hug from your uncle all the time. (laughs) Stuck to your car seat. Oh, yeah. Yeah, And that you have, right, it's always sort of these, you're taking these solid umbilicals around, but I mean, there's tremendous thunder showers. Um, The weather changes kind of instantaneously and it's so extreme. Are you, Um, are you missing sort of this landscape because i guess well yeah. definitely for swamplandia it's informing i do miss it. it a lot i actually miss it a lot it's funny my parents are currently my dad was stationed in the navy in san francisco and my mom had like since the time she was two always been in florida so she's never lived anywhere else so they ha- they're having like a like a gypsy ramble in california which i think is pretty great yeah but i really miss having a home base in florida i mean i love um yeah, I really love it. I really, uh, there's nowhere like it. Um, it took a while. I to, think you, you appreciate right? it. Yeah, it yeah. really took a while. It really took a while. But I think that must be pretty universal. I think teenagers from anywhere are citizens of get me out of here. So That's true. <laughs> yeah. But in Florida, is such, it is such a strange place. Yeah. Like, yeah. Do you still have family down kill there? You are there, right? Just like anything that's poisonous makes its way there. Oh, yeah. Whether it's my brother was like, animal. it's like our Australia. <laughs> <laughs> and, and does Australia have a problem with serial killers coming through too? Or I think that's it, just it too. Like it just feels like an outlaw. Ter- I mean, most people wouldn't necessarily term it a frontier, but it's such a total frontier. In some ways, the Everglades yeah. still are. Yeah. And, and which is yeah. where Sw- Swamplandia. Not that wow, we're, yeah. yeah. But what a pocket of darkness, right? I mean, in an interesting way, sort of just not a lot of vigilance centers in that deep swamp. <laughs> and I loved reading about its early history. I mean, when I was writing Swamplandia, I couldn't read Peter Mathiasen's books. It was just, I would have been crushed. You know, I would have been silenced because he's such a master and his approach is so different. So but different. now I can really enjoy them. And um, just what a, it, it reads like a Western or science fiction, right? It reads like the wildest new genre to think about what was going on in and, Dade County, right, in 1905. <laughs> and I love, like, the wildness that you have in Swamplandia. Ah, oh, well, thank it's, you. I um, It's still there. I think it's still a completely matter-of-factly wild state. 
Let's take a short break and then we'll come back. Yeah. Maybe we'll talk more about the wild state of Florida. <laughs> <laughs> and and maybe we'll we'll move to the lemon grove, which also mm-hmm. related citrus. Go citrus. Are you listening <laughs> to, to Living Writers today on the program? Karen Russell is here. We'll be right back. <laughs> You've got living writers. Um, If you're just joining us, glad you did. Today on the program, Karen Russell is here. Um, And we've got Stephanie behind the glass. And I'm T. Hetzel. And um, hopefully, would you mind reading a little something for us? Oh, I'd love to. I'd love to. Yeah. Um, Let's shift, though, because let's maybe not from Swantlandia. So we'll move away. We'll edge away from (laughs) Florida now. Um, With with this new collection, Karen, of short stories... um, are, are these, I don't know, are, are the short stories that come to you, are they sort of these little orbiting worlds and you sort of, and they keep orbiting around you until you start writing them? Or what, what are some of the first um, okay. origin moments I of love, these guys? No, no, they're very <laughs> humble. They're always, almost always embarrassing to you. So um, the title story, I was on a vacation. My uh, my grandfather had never been to Europe except during World War II, so he got kind of like That's a belly no vacation, to the ground, yeah. kind of a belly to the ground view. So we wanted to take him mm. uh, on this cruise of the ancient world. So the cruises, you know, I mean, David Foster Wallace was correct; they are sort of supposedly fun things that you might never do again. But one of the stops was at Sorrento, so all these cruise ships dock, and then you sort of like you know get like frog marched onto a boat, and it, it just feels like this weird refugee scene. And you, but then you're in this beautiful lemon paradise, and they're all. Did these you, lemon groves did on you the go sides on a of funicular like did you do no the, we didn't uh, but i mean i saw there are funiculars there right so i thought that was kind of fabulous and um you can you know you can go to the very tops of the cliffs uh what happened is we like i think we just got tipsy on limoncello and my sister had bad allergies we had to leave the lemon grove but i saw before i left this sort of elderly italian grandfather sucking on a lemon which i thought was so kind of such a surreal I mean, it was just one of those tableaus that stayed with me. And I think I, I was making, you know, I'm always making, they're not even jokes, just dumb observations to my siblings. So I was like, wouldn't it be funny if that guy who's who shoves a, a lemon on their teeth, maybe he's some kind of vampire and that's like his vampire methadone. And nobody thought that was funny. They're like, let's get back to the hotel. Lauren has, let's get back to the ship. Your sister's eyes are swelling up. But, um, you know, I just kept thinking actually about that image and sort of what it would mean to have to sort of be in a, a tr- like that kind of sunlit purgatory. Florida, just speaking of a, a sunlit purgatory, talk about a real um, happy hour limbo of a, a geography. Yes. So I think I was like sort of the endless Sunday feeling of that. There was something really, um, 
amazing you know it was like time outside of time like there everything is kind of like for like lemon ice and then the sun on water and then this man who's really sort of like on the threshold you know between life and death i mean he really was that age i think i was thinking a little bit about it just became an opportunity in a goofy way so it disarmed all my own you know whatever uh anxiety you would feel about trying to take on these giant philosophical questions i think someone who i really love as a writer is calvino and he's someone who I think does this beautifully. I'm, I'm, I wish that I, uh, you know, had like in my pinky thing. You know, he just he's a such a magician. But he'll have stories that disarm and charm you. You know, a dinosaur is the narrator, but they end up being about enormous questions about history and myth and how how people pass into anonymity and things like this. But it's almost questions so big that you couldn't come at them unless you found some oblique or fantastical means. Um, so that was one. That as, was one. as the writer and maybe even in, as the reader, too. Oh, yeah. Like, it's hard to, like, watch. Who can really, right, it's sort of like staring at the sun, right? You need to have some kind of <laughs> pinwheel or <laughs> you need to narrow the gauge a little so you can kind of find a way in. I think that's true. And Clyde certainly gives us this opportunity and Magrib to oh, think so. about the relate, like, oh. <laughs> Even relationship, not just to death or ending, but to oh, each other, yeah. right? The- just, it's a tricky, it's a kind of a, an interesting commitment married people make, I've always thought, right? <laughs> to say till death do us part. Right. I mean, and if if you're not going to die, all the, all the more challenging. <laughs> um, yeah, I was thinking about, yeah, that, that, what, a, what love looks like against a scale like that. It's kind of cosmic scale. Um, and yeah, and how do you, that, that is, and so you're, you're, and so you're, you've got it on this cosmic scale, Karen, but then the reader's able also to see immediately in some ways, like, I guess there's like, what is the psychology of it where you immediately have some sort of, well, how, how is it you relating to it and yeah. you, your own, like what it means to be in a relationship and what, um, yeah. Anyway, now, yeah. I feel like now I'm taking this into Oprah territory no. somehow. But I, <laughs> Oprah would sorry, be. She'd be so scared of us. <laughs> I don't. <laughs> Oprah would have like some kind of some <laughs> some drawbridge would go up immediately if we came into Oprah territory. <laughs> There'd be, be censors. Yeah, they would go up. <laughs> um, I'm trying to think of some other origin. You know the 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 story reeling for the emperor. I uh, it's such a fun time writing, and that also had bizarre synthesis i think i had been reading um about meiji era japan i just got really interested in this time this like violent metamorphosis where after 200 years of being basically a feudal isolated uh island they're drawn forcibly into commerce with the west and they industrialize and you know in 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 less than a generation really consciously adopt these western means of production um and just what that what that would do how that would alter your relationship to the world or what's what selfhood would mean or suddenly you know there are these western style factories are opening up and people are encouraged to, to reconceive of their bodies as parts of as machinery you know um and and i think somehow thank you industrial revolution <laughs> yeah just that what, what a what a what a true metamorphosis and so that and then sort of thinking about um stages of evolution and then these like the kind of like teleological stories we want to tell about history, you know, stages of it. So just all of that was kind of percolating. Um, and it wound up being this insane story about these girls who they are quite literally changed into um, 
silkworms. They start to mutate into these silkworms and they generate, you know, I think it was reading about these real girls, these factory workers who are duped into coming to work at these model mills, believing that they're going to get their families who are mortgaged out to, you know, there's been this seismic economic change too. So all these farmers are just, um, you know, suicidally in debt. So they kind of, these daughters kind of go off to reel to for the save, empire. To save yeah. yeah, and I think that it's a, in a funny way, that story, the basic contours of it aren't so dissimilar in my mind to Swamplandia. <laughs> I mean, I think it's another case where you can, you feel the seduction of one narrative and the pain when you, you know, you're, you discover sort of that you've been fleeced and these girls get to the factory and obviously it's not, you know, it's, it's a... More or less identical to some of these real factories where they girls worked ten hour shifts and they were like tubercular conditions. If they ran away, their families were punished. Um, I mean, really nightmarish conditions. So, I sort of think of that story. It's not even to me, you know, when you do the distinction realism fan- fantasy. It's sort of something is distorted or exaggerated slightly, but you could. You, but the reality someone else, of it, yeah, is someone else a- could do just as po- a powerful version of that as history or as like a realist fiction, you know, quote unquote. How do you think though? It's like, um, it's, it's sort of maybe naturally in some ways how your imagination works, Karen, where you're, you're open to this, um, this transformation or this. Oh, I love met I love metamorphosis generally. And I think somehow I, um, to get over the hurdle of my own self-consciousness sometimes I have to, or just, or, I always, people aren't writers or so, I, sometimes I'm like, you can also just say it's fun. For me, it's more fun to to create a world. <laughs> I mean, on the one hand, I think I would have been too shy to, to take on the real history or it would have been stultifying to me. I wouldn't have felt any freedom to imaginatively inhabit it. Mm-hmm. I would have felt like I would have to get a PhD in Japanese, you know, culture and history before I could take it on. So there's that. But then it's also what a pleasure, right? That you can build a, a whole world out of words. I mean, that sounds so uh, dorky, but I, uh, I stand behind it. <laughs> that is how I feel. <laughs> and, uh, and to do the octave shift. Yeah. I think that frees things up or you see things you might not have seen in the, in a more realistic register. Well, well, Karen, what, um, is there, cause I know we said reading in this, maybe we'll oh, read okay. in just a moment. Like if you don't mind waiting, yeah. is there, cause you that, cue me, I'll keep that, babbling like a no. maniac. Otherwise. <laughs> no, you're lovely. Um, so these, these stories for these, um, are there any pieces of stories that when this moment starts happening that you sort of think, mm, no, well, I guess, well, no, tell me. <laughs> uh, yeah. Um, because I'm, or or is it something where they somehow keep these little pieces keep returning to you and do they ever sort of become other pieces of stories like yeah with the with the presidents becoming horses um uh in the afterlife or or so um yeah. or how does cuz that was I love that story I just like oh, to say thanks, yeah. um is there was there fragments other pieces of stories that are ideas and then somehow you thought well what if that these kind of glaci- glaciate or yeah, turn, yeah are these so that one isn't i mean i think that was thank god just pure fun i don't i wouldn't have been able to um i think that was a rare case where i just started writing i wrote that first paragraph and it kind of came who knows from who knows where i had been uh wanting to write a story i just finished saint lucy's and i wanted to write a story that didn't have as its protagonist an adolescent boy yes. 
So it seems like a supreme overcorrection <laughs> where it's just a well, dead president it. in the you body did. of a horse. I'm like, well, whatever you can say about this, it's not a teenage boy. So there is that, you know. But is that, did an image come to you for that? Or were you actually just, at, is it that thing where you show up at the desk and you're writing and that's what you started writing? Yeah, I think that I had wanted to write a story for my thesis advisor at the time about that had a president in it. I had watched a documentary about the presidents. You know, if I really try to track it back, sometimes I can remember sort of what was... Thank what you, I, PBS. Yeah, thank you, PBS. <laughs> I, it should be, right? PBS, you know, I, I saw that Donner Party documentary. I think I'm still haunted by it. Um, it's like one of the best movies I've ever seen. Thank you, PBS. Um, just in terms of the horror of the frontier and like what a personality looks like when it's sort of... Um, sandpapered by <laughs> extreme forces. Such, um, such lovely word choice. But, <laughs> I mean, I don't it's a sandblast, and I mean, worse than I don't. You just, uh, but um, I had been reading Kevin Brockmer has a beautiful book called A Brief History of the Dead, and it occurs in this sort of antechamber between this life and who knows what, where um, when you you die, uh, you remain in this room of a world, some sort of like womb of an, and it doesn't seem to be the stopping place because people disappear from this realm too you stay there until the last person who remembers you on earth dies which is beautiful um i loved this book so i had just read that so i'm sure that i think part of what i loved about it too was uh that felt true was just these people are all gathered together and none of the mysteries that they thought would be resolved by their deaths have been resolved. In fact, those questions are, they feel even more mysterious um, and urgent. So that seemed like somehow I was like, that is the sort of deadpan comedy that the world presents you with, right? Here you like, why would anyone, why would anyone have this, what kind of optimism is feeding us all? We're like, well, once we'll die, we'll know one way or the other. It's like, no, what if you really want it? That's actually, both camps seem to agree at least on that, right? Like, well, we'll know, you know, there's nothing or there's something, but we'll, and I, so I loved that. And then I had watched this thing about the presidents where these, these in the voiceover, stentorian voiceover, they seem so concerned about their legacies. And I was just thinking about um, what kind of, the kind of math we're all doing all the time in life to make our futures align with our pasts um you know to the, whatever sort of theodicies we're writing or just rationales we're writing all the time that kind of compulsive arithmetic anyway so that's also so i think some of that stuff was humming around how it came out in that form i couldn't tell you but uh <laughs> well you're off the hot seat because we're gonna take a short break Okay, so we'll okay. be right back. I'm today on Living Writers, Karen Russell is here. Her latest story collection, Vampires in the Lemon Grove. We'll be right back.
Welcome so back. You've got living writers today. Karen Russell is here. Vampires in the Lemon Grove is on the table. And also Karen's books, Swamplandia and St. Lucy's Home for Girls Raised by Wolves. With the Cassandra Wolf on the cover <laughs> of the vintage paperback edition. <laughs> um, and and we just heard Alligators. Which what a great really- song. <laughs> Thanks, Grizzly Bear. Grizzly Bear and Alligator also sounds like a great matchup. <laughs> Who would win, Who right? Would like win? The, the, the fighting scenario. I think I haven't read this book, but there's a... Uh, Chris, I think, Bachelder. I hope I'm getting his name right. He has a book called Shark versus Bear. I'm dying to read this book. All that I know about it is the title and that he's a Florida guy, and so I assume it's great. Oh, that will be Shark great. <laughs> this is yeah. a Go Florida hour. Who who would have known? <laughs> if you had asked either of us probably 10 no. years ago or so, we would have been like, no, but I, I don't want to talk about Florida. Yeah, it's a, it's been a secret pleasure of this book is sort of like getting to exchange glances with other people outside of that peninsula. And tomorrow I go to the Miami Book Fair, so I'm oh. so excited. Yeah, big homecoming. That will be. Yeah. Oh, that's wonderful. It just reads very differently down there than like in, you know, in California, say. I was telling a friend, I just get this false cred for being inventive that I don't get in Florida. And uh, it, the book <laughs> came out in France and I got to go to Paris for the first time and it was beautiful as everyone says like all the reverse snobbery i had cultivated fell away it really was you know the most romantic amazing the city, city of lights it yeah. was yeah I'll, i knew it from like epcot france so i was <laughs> i was wrong but um everybody was like oh is these alligators how do you alligator wrestler come up with that that was like a i don't know what accent that was <laughs> it was like frank oppression um but uh what did you say? What do you say about well, the alligators I think, when you say I think I had to disclose well, that many things that, exactly <laughs> that so many things that they sort of thought were the products of my imagination were just realism in Florida, you know. So that, that is wonderful. Well I, I I so will you be reading Spomplandia at the the Miami Book Festival or are you going to be reading, oh, I'll be reading vampires from the of the, stories okay. I think. I yeah. Think so. Yeah. Well cuz they've got to hear Swamplandia. They it's got their true. dose of, right there. I think they I hope so. Although actually that's a good. I did feel a little traitorous none of these stories are set in Florida in sort of a conscious way. I would but think I had that's spent what my, I my entire you... yeah, imaginative life there so it felt necessary it felt as necessary as leaving for college or something you know just to sort of oh that is that's make make some strides yeah i wonder um you probably won't be (laughs) rid of it though in in oh no i even think all of these stories i mean in a funny way i just think that whatever got set up whatever um even a story there's a story in here called hawks river window and that to me although it's could not be more distant in time and space from florida in some ways Something about the way that people interact with their landscape and the weather. I mean, that's that's just a perennially interesting story to me. And I don't know that it would be if I hadn't grown up in South Florida. I mean, families threatened by the weather. That never gets old to me. So Mm-mm. Mm-mm. Um, It's just something you know kind of deep, deep inside. And the possibility of it. Yeah coming absolutely like, i don't were you there for hurricane andrew no i wasn't yeah. I, but i saw i went I'm sure through, you were there for plenty of <laughs> yes, yes plenty of other storms there for others. but i can remember yeah. actually being like driving through um after hurricane andrew but after like i mean maybe six months or so and just seeing buildings still like like devastation but because yeah. it was before anyone had well 
not anyone, but it, before the image, like images of Katrina and then after Sandy, you know, right. those are seemed to be more in the national Absolutely. consciousness. But yeah. in some ways before, I feel like in some ways hurricanes used to be more like the Florida's problem and maybe Louisiana and some of the Gulf yeah. Coast, but, but now more of the U.S. has... It's going to be a weird uh, tomorrow. I mean, we'll have to see how, yeah. how things shake down. I think it's sort of scary when even the History Channel... Isn't it confusing when... For, I mean, uh, sort of, they, they seem to take a break from their mission statement of documenting history for us, and they'll give us some speculative <laughs> fiction about a storm that might destroy us. You know where they do those segments? Where, I've not have seen, you seen that. Those? They'll be like, if, if there was uh, an earthquake that swallowed California, or if there was a superstorm oh, like that, that takes out Florida. I know. What I hate is Whatever, that so that many... Apocalyptic like, fantasy TV, you know? Right, right. I did. I have not seen that. I think I was stuck on like searching for the giant squid, which may have been <laughs> on the History Channel, and they dragged that out for it's like wonderful, four right? hours. Just speaking of like, yeah, spec fiction, and just the boundaries between reality and fantasy. I mean, it's happening on the History Channel. Exactly. That's why I think it isn't like what you were saying earlier, Karen, about yeah. um, with the, the silkworms and the conditions. It's, it isn't so. If you think about what pe- we as people do to each other or, yeah. or create or th- in this way, yeah. it, it is. It's not that there isn't really that. It is that membrane, membrane, like that very light memory between something that's surreal. Because if, I don't know if we even... It's very difficult. I mean, I I always feel sort of bogus talking about them as as if they're discrete categories, fantasy and reality. When you think about how much time we spend in our own minds in an imaginary future or in an imaginary past. Like you tell me how often you're standing in like the, you know, just shadowless noon of right now. Probably never, rarely. So there's that. I mean, I think also, too, just it's always a graft. It's such a graft between people's interiorities and any any kind of outside world. So, And in Florida, I mean, there's no way not to really feel the slipperiness of those distinctions. I mean... And, and the need to sort of stay on your toes. <laughs> yes. And that yeah. the land is always trying to reclaim what people have... Yeah, taken. I think that's wild. I think that's really true. I mean, you oh, you know this too, right? Just the tides are chronic revisers, <laughs> just constantly revising the coastline, and there are all these human floods of of immigration in South mm-hmm. Florida too. I mean, there's nothing really. I think that there are just places in the United States that feel more stable and fixed and have more entrenched traditions, and that's not that's not Florida. That's not one of them. Yeah. <laughs> Karen, will you read something yeah. for us? Because we're talking about you going to Miami to read. You so, got yeah. it. Here's, I'll read. I'm going to read just a little bit from the opening of Reeling from the Empire since we talked about it, if that's okay. Just uh, like a page or two. or Okay. So this is a story we were speaking about as set in Meiji-era Japan that's uh, so just un- unbearable realism, let's say, <laughs> or fantasy. Uh, Reeling for the Empire. Several of us claim to have been the daughters of samurai. But of course, there is no way for anyone to verify that now. It's a relief in its way, the new anonymity. We come here tall and thin, noble women from Yamaguchi, graceful as calligraphy, short and poor, Hida girls with bloody feet, crow-voiced and vulgar, entrusted to the model mill by our teary mothers, rented out by our destitute uncles, 
but within a day or two, the drink the recruitment agent gave us begins to take effect. And the more our Keiko bodies begin to resemble one another, the more frantically each factory girl works to reinvent her past. One of the consequences of our captivity here in Nowhere Mill, and of the darkness that pools on the factory floor, and of the polar fur that covers our faces, blanking us all into sisters, is that anybody can be anyone she likes in the past. Some of our lies are quite bold. Yuna says that her great-uncle has a scrap of sailcloth from the black ships. Dai claims that she knelt alongside her samurai father at the Battle of Shiroyama. Nishi fibs that she once stowed away in the imperial caboose from Shimbashi Station to Yokohama and saw Emperor Meiji eating pink cake. Back in Jifu, I had tangly hair like a donkey's tail, a mouth like a small red bean. But I tell the others that I was very beautiful. Where are you from? they ask me. The castle in Jifu, perhaps you know it from the famous wood blocks. My great-grandfather was a warrior. Oh, but Kitsune, we thought you said your father was the one who printed the wood blocks. The famous artist, Utagawa Kuniyoshi. Yes, he was, yesterday. I'll put it bluntly, we are all becoming reelers. Some kind of hybrid creature, part Kaiko, silkworm caterpillar, and part human female. Some of the older workers' faces are already quite covered with a coarse white fur. But my face and thighs stayed smooth for twenty days. In fact, I've only just begun to grow the white hair on my belly. During my first nights and days in the silk reeling factory, I was always shaking. I have never been a hysterical person, and so at first I misread these tremors as mere mood. I was in the clutches of a giddy sort of terror, I thought. Then the roiling feeling became solid. It was the thread, a color purling invisibly in my belly, silk. Yards and yards of thin color would soon be extracted from me by the machine. I'll stop there. Pretty gross before mealtime. <laughs> <laughs> That's okay. We're on in the evening. Well, I guess it's supper time. <laughs> Sorry, everybody driving home. <laughs> that It's just uh, so um, wonderful to hear you read the story to Karen with the, because I felt myself just getting increasingly tense too oh, as well, the, that's good the, yes, yes. <laughs> congratulations <laughs> mission thought, accomplished right? <laughs> <laughs> i know it does feel like handing someone like a pillowcase of nightmares or something sometimes i uh yeah for me for me it's, it's difficult too it's such a visceral kind of pain to try to inhabit um you know what that might really feel like and obviously i mean you know, I don't think it's a secret. I mean, there's plenty of sort of like reproductive horror happening and body horror and um, just the, I think, the brutality of um, the real story, too, where suddenly silk, silk reeling, what was interesting to me is that parts of it can't be mechanized. There are other kinds of textile work, um, you know, the, that most of it can be done by uh, machinery. But the cocoon was so fine that, you know, you they would have to unreal, unwind a cocoon by hand. So already the labor is like uh, excruciatingly delicate. And then to feed that, you know, to feed the the filament to these these reelers. Um, 
I was thinking about that just still bursting through your fingertips. It just didn't seem like so so far removed from the effort of having this this tiny puffball miniature. Yes. And also something about unwinding in such a literal way as I mean your your life is kind of talking down. You're in one room for ten hours of nonstop the labor. Self is disappearing. Yourself is and, di- yeah, and absolutely. And that's absolutely. why you're you're saying like they try to create the stories. Yeah. Like Oh, definitely. Kind of re-real something that resembles a self. Um, and I was thinking about memory as that action, too. I mean, there's a real ambivalence in the story about whether regret can ever have a utility. Mm. Uh, she has a friend, this this worker die, who says, you have to stop reliving the moment when you signed this contract to come here. This This is a person who's truly haunted by this decision where... You know, she can hear the whistle of all this possibility. At that moment, she could have run back to the forest. She could have declined the contract. She, You know, it's just with the benefit of hindsight, it's apparent to her that she made this dreadful mistake. But um, I was thinking, too, you know, there are cases where we have to tell these <laughs> these stories to remain, I mean, to re-reel her history. She's doing this, and she ends up, I mean, I don't know if this story really reads this way, but the the emotional trajectory I was thinking about is someone who, instead of being slave to the compulsive regeneration of the silk in her body and this traumatic memory in her head, it's not so dissimilar. There's something, some. it's it's kind of humbling, right? In Swamplandia, there's sort of a very different kind of like, okay, well, this kid has to learn how to consciously tell a new kind of story. And I think I imagine it as that. So mm. in the end, she's not, um, she's not sort of the slave. She's not like passively watching this memory recreate itself she's sort of an active creator again i mean she's using these energies to make to make something new so blah 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 (laughs) sorry (laughs) no thank you karen and thanks for saying it's like because it's interesting to think about um the, the the layers of the story that the reader is um interacting with and receiving or being imagining themselves so uh, the no, emotional. I hope, I hope it's there. It. I mean, I also just, I, you know, I hope there's also some kind of like badass revenge pleasure too. You know, I, you know? <laughs> oh, it's in there. <laughs> well, let's take a short break and and then we'll come back and we'll hear more about these badass revenge pleasures. We've got living writers today on the program. Karen Russell, Vampires in the Lemon Grove. We'll be back. <laughs> You've got Living Writers. I'm T. Hetzel. Today, Karen Russell is here picking some songs from the WCBN library. Um, Karen, want to tell us a little bit about that song? Yeah, I've loved the songs lined up today. Thanks to Stephanie for 
great DJ action. So that was the scariest, one of my favorite songs. That's by Greg Weeks, and it's called Made. I don't know if people, the lyrics are just, they made us this way for what they can never say, holding ground. So do with that what you will. I mean, um, somehow it's just like the the spaciness of it and like the matter of fact chilliness of it I really love and then like we were saying there's some kind of hoppy woodsy kind of happy there yeah, in there it's too, happy, this happy there too. Yeah. I don't know right just black black it squirrels works. on parade who knows what's it happening works. in those woods totally works <laughs> totally works but I love something about yeah tonally I think that to be able to do right there's humor in it but there's like a definite darkness and I think some of my favorite fiction has Kelly Link is someone I adore I don't know if you know her uh, and I think atmospherically, it's a lot like that song often, you know, she's, there's not, it's, it just feels true to me of life, right? I think sometimes there's this flattening effect that just feels false if something's exclusively lyrical or only comic. Mm. I just think often, you know, you're, you're moving to Florida again, right? There are a lot of registers at once. Speaking of hilarious lines, there was one part that I just, from, um, Doug Burt Shackleton's Rules for Antarctic Tailgating are like such great titles, Karen. Like, it's just, this must come oh, thank to you God you in think dreams. so. I, <laughs> but do they, do they come to you in dreams? Like, cause you're, I you're wish openness. they did. Isn't it sad when dreams are so boring? I get so mad at, I sort of think that's one of the reasons I like writing weirder stuff and reading weirder stuff. If you have access to these imaginary realms, that you don't have access to in your daylight life, why wouldn't Step you want to? Why wouldn't them. you want to, right? And I think it's the same frustration I feel when you have a dream where you just like do the dishes or like a house guest comes. I'm like, wait a second. <laughs> Imaginative apparatus, like unconscious. We could have gone, we could have done a lot of different things. Like, you know, rehearsing for the work day. We could have gone, next day. yeah, that's exactly. <laughs> exactly. Where you're like, that's so weird cheated. because I definitely had the, the infrastructure to go sledding through the sky, and but I see I just bought shampoos. So I'm not sure why, <laughs> who made that call. <laughs> so, so you choose in your waking life to create these moments and to s- step into them. Yeah, it's, that's the lucid dreaming that fiction people get to do, right? It's such a privilege. It's, it's good. Um, but you more than most even because some people... Th- well, so, well, no, and then I think some of your because uh, of because of the the, yeah. the the imaginative nature and 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 leaps and yeah, I wish. I mean, I would love to be braver still, you know. Um, well, I expect you will. Gosh, I mean, I, I mentioned uh, Kelly Link, but I've been rereading Borges. Yes, yeah. he. There's nothing he can't do. There's nothing that he can't make feel solid and real you know or kafka somebody else you know i mean these are kind of the heavy hitters but um uh they're just a lot of kevin brockmeyer is a writer i adore and whatever he writes has that shimmer around it he just wrote a memoir of seventh grade um which what sort of in a way what could be more uh, horrifying more horrifying he writes it as a sci-fi horror story exactly i believe it, I believe it. and it, it's such a science <laughs> it's a sci-fi time right like your your feet grew three sizes in the night your voice yes. changed yeah you're a monster everyone hates you you know it's, con- it's a confounding time so oh but the f- it is and middle school is just that is just prime well actually yeah. that i know that you're um the, the final story in the collection, the characters have aged out. They're older now. Like They're they- getting older, but I think that's funny. That's a nice, it's a nice uh, connection, right? Because I do think uh, one of the reasons I love adolescent narrators is they have access. 
They have complete access to the world of childhood, and then also sort of they're cutting their teeth on these new adult apprehensions. And but they and the it also can show through like like the strangeness of adulthood yeah, or the inconsistent like the complete inconsistencies or the or complete inconsistencies. Yeah. They still right. They're not filling in yet. I mean, I think uh, if there's a jump cut, they see it. They don't. They, you know how we're always sort of mm. supplying our own material to kind of fill in the blind spot all the time. I think teenagers are really sort of like, well, that's you know, that's yeah. messed up. Yeah. Uh, I did happen to notice that hypocrisy or that inconsistency that seems really upsetting, um, oh. and can give voice to it in different ways before you sort of accept as just part of modern life that it's that way. You know, I oh. think. or you find certain things that you're coming out of your mouth that you're thinking, no, this, this yeah. cannot be true. Yes. This, this, this is not is... what you mean at all. But I was just having a conversation with my, with my best friend where she was like, I hear myself saying things in my office that I would never say, you know, just like, it just takes, no, you actually feel it. possessed by, but now, you know, she, yes. she's like yesterday I said, no worries. <laughs> she's right, like, why right, would I say right. that? One of the things that would almost make me fly into a rage, Karen, was it's all good. Cause I'd be like, <laughs> it's all good. No, You're like, no, it's not, no. it's never been true. <laughs> no. <laughs> but I, in this, in this, I got distracted by your wonderful titles. Um, so in Dougbert Shackleton's and Dougbert just Poor makes Dougbert. me laugh. Like it just, <laughs> It's like it, it, and rules for Antarctic tailgating, yeah. and of course you can't read a, a short story with tailgating at the University of Michigan without a whole host of images oh, sure. flooding in. But one of, the, like, I just kept writing "ha" alongside so many places in your wonderful book, which is so um, roiling with emotion and oh, and, thanks, and and Steve. darkness as and not just um, laughs. Yeah. <laughs> um, but. Thanks, <laughs> You, when you said here, some people think they can just hop down to the South Pole with a six pack of natural ice and a sweater from the Gap, and that is just not the way we do it for the food chain games. <laughs> and then the Team Krill versus I'm Team so Whale. Dumb. Like, it's, no! Everything for me. There's a no. German word for when you hear your words and feel ashamed for yourself. The Germans have so many compounds they have like really that. really great words. Just like a like, very specific emotion. What is, can you think of the word? No, no. I wish I had learned. I told you, all I learned was. Ich bin Lohengrin. All I can say is I am Lohengrin. I'm I'm Berliner. I mean, I don't know. Well, okay. Too bad this can't. We'll find out this German word. We shall. But yeah, anyway, it's just like line, like just so many amazingly wonderful, hilarious moments. Oh, I'm glad it reads that way. That one was really just joy and and silly silly it's fun to be silly you know it's all right i think some of the time i was thinking that story there's so many stories in this book actually about underdogs some kind of underdog and um yeah i thought that might be maybe a lighter take on something that did seem kind of thematically consistent throughout right i mean just like a little bit lighter than this prairie family um you know under the hammer of the weather and sort of economic misfortune you know being transformed into monsters i do think in a funny way, um, that's a really, that's a uh, that's such a seductive and very familiar narrative to have someone on a quest against all odds, right? And it, I'm just always interested in kind of like when that optimism tips into delusion and the dangers, you know, the perversity of that. I mean, also though, like I'm not immune to wanting to cheer against impossible odds, right? There's something wonderful about that. But I think also, it's, so I'm playing in a really similar way. I was thinking about this family. I've had so many people... Uh, since its publication sort of 
throw alternative endings at me, which I understand. Um, that's well, that's sort of a strange kind of tribute because it means that they're so. I think it was really it. important to me, right? So you really feel how badly you do uh, want the underdog to prevail. And um, to put all that onus on an individual uh, kind of lets you off the hook uh, looking at these like structural causes for all kinds of, for what makes people underdogs in the first place, right? So I think that's been interesting to me lately. What else is interesting you lately, Karen Russell? Oh, geez. Um, but big, let's say, let's talk big thoughts big for thoughts? the end of the show. Oh, dear God. As I'm like, as I'm like uh, stuffed crust pizza is quite awesome. <laughs> I mean, that's especially I'm now that around. the weather is getting yeah, cold. Exactly. I'm like, Louis C.K. continues to dazzle. Oh, I um, one, You know, yes, one thing indeed. that uh, I, I've been reading that I really love that I've been sort of evangelizing for, it's this book called Slow Violence by this guy, Rob Nixon. He's a... Uh, um, out at Madison, and the book is uh, just about the narrative challenge, writing about uh, kinds of um, violences that evolve over time. They don't fit to the 24-7 news cycle. Mm -hmm. So something like the, the earthquake in Haiti or sort of the half-life of... Um, you know, uh, radiation or just or growing up in Detroit in a public school that closes. And yes, yeah, yes, exactly. Exactly. So slow violence. So it's not, it doesn't have that immediate impact. And, um, and you don't, how do we tell a story like that? How do we tell the story of like an erosion that's incremental, but, um, mm. you know, and how, so, and he's, and it's, it's just very interesting to think about, I guess, sort of his argument is we have to figure out how to, tell those narratives because they do affect the way we make policy and and just how hard it is for us as sort of like blinkered limited monkeys to imagine beyond our own lifespans you know or just to to think about time um you know if something like agent orange right for example where this is the, a violence that um it's just generation it's manifesting now you know decades out from the vietnam war so stories like that um, I, I was sort of blowing my mind. So that's that. I just said that's a counter my comment about pizza mostly. <laughs> to let people know that it's not just Kathy Guy's white on the mic. No, no, no. And now, and now, let me see you on that and raise you um, from the orange to the lemon grove. No, no, no. I can't can't ever make light of anything like that. But Karen, thanks so much for being on the Tea. program today. And, Tea and Stephanie, it's been the best. I loved it. I, well, you know what? Call in sometime. Let's let's talk. I will. Um, I can't promise I'll be sober. You might regret <laughs> making this invitation. <laughs> I like when from Especially now on I call for... in every time. You're like, oh God, block that number. No. Karen started we're, drinking we're early. Gonna be, we're going to dial in you up for the fundraiser <laughs> so you can say a few words. <laughs> um, today on the program, you've been listening to a conversation <laughs> with Karen Russell. Um, her, check out these amazing books. I'm sure you've already heard of them. But if not, you... Get them now. Vampires in the Lemon Grove, um, Swamplandia, St. Lucy's, Lucy's Home for Girls Raised by Wolves. Thanks so much. Oh, Karen. thanks for having me. <laughs> and uh, you're listening to WCBN FM Ann Arbor. Yeah. Until next time, folks. I'm gonna hit you on the face I'm gonna punch you in your glasses Oh no We're going down the road Dust kind of cities made of ashes I'm gonna hit you on the face I'm gonna punch you in your glasses Oh no
evening, the two 18-year-old sisters. You're listening to WCBN-FM, Ann Arbor. Okay, are we rolling? Yeah. All right. Hey, this is Jim Roll from deep in the south of Ypsilanti telling you that even in Ypsilanti I get my longest antenna out to listen closely to WCBN-FM Ann Arbor. Yes, you're listening to WCBN-FM Ann Arbor. My name is Pratt. I'm filling in for the sports report tonight. And tonight on the program, I'm going to feature an interview with Muhammad Ali on Face the Nation from 1976. Listen closely to how Ali handles some of the questions of the, of the folks on the CBS network. I think you'll find this conversation pretty interesting. So you're listening to WCBN FM Ann Arbor. Pratt filling in for the sports report. Phone number if you, for whatever reason, would like to talk to me about this. 734-763-3500. Mr. Ali, you have said that uh, you like to lecture better than you like to box. You've become certainly a very well-known world figure. People know about you in every corner of the earth. You say you want to be a sort of a black Henry Kissinger. What is it you want to do after you've stopped fighting? Well, I figure that we only have so many hours a day to uh, do whatever we have to do. So many years.